there is an opportunity sitting out there that nobody's ever captured in the golf business. Um, I'm on the threshold of doing that with my partner and with Verizon. Once we have a go-to-market in the third quarter, people are going to sit back and realize, why didn't anybody do this before? Nobody's captured it, understood it, uh, or even how to monetize it. So it's fascinating for me, and it's just something that everybody, I think, will really enjoy by changing their life on a golf course. Welcome to another episode of the Golf.com podcast. I am your host, Sean Zock. Today, I am joined by Greg Norman, who needs no introduction. You likely know him as the Shark from his days as a professional golfer, where he won a pair of British Opens. But as a businessman, Greg holds likely even more influence. The Greg Norman Company extends all over the golf world and even beyond the golf world. And with the PGA show happening just next week down in Orlando, I figured it's probably a great time to talk golf business. So let's welcome Mr. Norman to the show. Greg, thank you for joining me. Uh, Thank you, Sean. Thank you for having me. Now, what you've done after golf fascinates me, honestly, more than anything that you've done on the golf course, which can be odd. And I hope it fascinates the people listening because what you've done off the golf course is a, it's a route that a lot of successful golfers have taken into creating their own brand, but only a few of them have made it work on the level that you have, you know, taking the business to golf courses, golf apparel, real estate, steak, wine, all these other various ventures that are not golf related. Do you feel like your brand, you know, a lot of golfers have their brand, but do you feel like your brand is on a different level? Um, that's a great question. I really don't look at it that way. Um, I look about what I do to the brand myself, uh, how I want to position it, um, where I want to take it. So I do look. I do look at the other brands. I see where they've come from, and most of them are big legacy brands that I respect the most. Like, uh, you know, Andre Lacoste's done a phenomenal job with it. One thing about your brand that I want to know about is when you first realized that its potential, when did you realize that you had a brand as a golfer? I, I think the compliment came from um, Paul Fireman, who was owned Reebok at the time, and I was an endorsement player for Reebok. And Paul Fireman came up with this idea of starting the Greg Norman collection and apparel line. He is a fascinating uh, industry that he was in with the sneaker shoe manufacturer. But he always wanted to get into the golf apparel side of things. And uh, me being number one golfer and representing Reebok, uh, he wanted to venture down that path. So Reebok went and capitalized the whole thing. Um, We came up with the Shark logo. And then he very quickly turned around and he said, Greg, this logo is yours. And I'm going to um, license it off you. And that was a quick introduction that really started to, for me, understanding marketing, branding, and licensing. So I'd have to say it was Paul Fireman that really triggered my interest of building a brand and a brand reputation um, and expanding off a base that uh, really started through golf. Was it slow at first? Did it feel like it was (laughs) so golf-related and only golf-related? Absolutely, because at the time when Greg Norman Collection started with the uh, logo, I was still very much uh, a prominent player in the game. And I didn't have the time to focus on building the business. Um, I learned when I was my contract came up with um, a major management company that I didn't want to renew then. 
um, because I wanted to build equity in my own, own brand. I knew if you're with the management company, they're never going to build equity in your brand because a management company has their brand. They have to protect their own brand. So I knew I was very much a pass-through entity, not only in the game of golf, uh, but also in the managerial side of things. So I decided not to renew the contract. I started to decided to go out there and finance my own company, which at the time was uh, Great White Shark Enterprises, and it's now Greg Norman Company. Um, so I went out and picked the right people, find the right find the right human resources, the people that actually believe in where I, my thoughts were, how I wanted to take the company, grow the company, and where I eventually wanted to get it. So finding the uh, people behind me and support me like the way I have, I've been very, very lucky because people have to have a long-term vision. And to really answer your question, it takes a long period of time, maybe 15 years plus to uh, develop a really good foundation underneath you where you can feel like you have some uh, really good brand equity. So back then, did you have an idea of what it could, like, were you thinking, this is where I want to be 10 years from now? Or were you really just taking baby steps? Well, it's the old saying, you go crawl, walk, run, right? And I was very much aware of the fact that I was a global player. I'd, I'd played and performed extremely well in all continents around the world. And I knew that would bode well for me going forward as I build out the business. Uh, because you want to have a global presence. And you don't want to be just domestically located or recognized. So as I started to crawl along, I realized the world was going to be my oyster in many ways. But how do you how do you crack that? You have to understand it. And that's why I built a fantastic foundation, being all uh, vertically integrated with the game of golf, to give myself such a strong foundation that eventually I could diversify and go out into B2B or B2C. Was there a point along the way where you knew the the total potential of the brand that you knew it could be international you know that was kind of when i knew at that moment i could i could tell it was going to be an international brand um i, I would say the acceptance of greg norma collection domestically we were doing very very well when we we're under the reebok umbrella and every time i walked down the street um, i then learned quickly that i was the living brand because people did recognize me people were wearing my Logos, shirts, and hats, and shorts, and socks. <laughs> uh, so right then, I knew that I had an impact on the soft goods market. So uh, then I said, okay, now how do we build off of this? Uh, because we did have great penetration in the retail outlets. We did have great penetration in green grass stores. Uh, so we captured that market very, very well. And we've held that uh, capture for a long, long period of time with a lot of respect and hard work and incredible salespeople that I have on the feet in the field. So uh, we've maintained that consistency. So obviously sitting back looking at that, I knew that was going to be the catalyst to go forward. And on top of that, quite honestly, and I, you know, I hope people take this the right way. I, I've got a pretty sexy logo to tell you. The truth. <laughs> and um, I think when you look at it and look at many logos, they've got to be striking. They've got to be memorable. And you've got to be able to, when you walk down, a, whether it's an aisle in a grocery store and the shark logo popped off the shelf on a, on a wine bottle, or you're walking through Macy's or a, a golf pro shop and you see a shark shirt that popped off at you, the logo, that, that means a lot to me because that means that the logo is recognizable and people can relate to it straight away. I like that. Now, before we move 
really forward into kind of where your company is nowadays. I want to go back to the moment when you were most worried about it. Was there a moment where you were worried about the company and its future and what happened at that moment? Well, I wouldn't say the company in general, Sean, but I was worried about a, a few divisions of my company. And that was in 2008, basically, when the GFC hit. And I learned very, very quickly then that if you are not diversified on a global front and, and be able to um, hedge your businesses when the a recession hits, then you're going to be in a bit of a tough time. Mm-hmm. So right there and then with golf course design business, um, we could sense there was something happening um, in 2008 because our AR, our account receivables, were starting to drift out from 30 to 45 days, 45 to 60 days. So we knew there was going to be a big tightening of the belt on a global basis, and it was global. Um, so when we started recognizing that, I started to skinny things down, and that was probably the hardest year that I've ever had in my business because I had to let go of some employees that I've never had to do before in my life in the golf course design business. And that really stung me pretty hard because I'm a very loyal guy and I I try to do as much as I can to keep keep it all going. Um, But in those situations when you have a severe GFD like we did do and quite honestly continue to do in certain parts around the world, um, you just got to tighten up your shoelaces, tuck it up. You're the CEO, owner of the company. You got to make hard decisions, tough decisions and I had to do it for, for that division and, and overall for the company. Now, that that's something that I'm also very interested in is your role. Now, you, you'll have CEOs and, and then figureheads of brands that kind of exist as a person that's more detached. Are you, are you really embedded? Because you make it sound like that with the idea of letting people go and, and needing to, to have your fingers in all the various branches of the Greg Norman Company. How Im- I'm curious, how embedded are you within the, the actual decision-making that's going on every day? Very much so. If name's on the door, you better know what's going on inside those doors or behind the door. Um, going back to human resources, I'm the one who wants to hire people. I have other people obviously go through the due diligence, um, weed out 50 to 60 people down to three or four. And then those three or four, they'll come to me and say, hey, we, we highly recommend these individuals, and then I'll interview them. Because to me, it's all about the culture, the culture of the individual, the character of the individual. And one of the fundamental questions I ask myself when I bring people on board, uh, can you spend 20 hours on a plane with them flying from Florida to Australia and return and have a constructive, calm, relaxing time? <laughs> I'm sure it's not easy. No, it is not. When you're stuck in a sausage for that amount of time, right? no matter what what, um, what class you're flying in, whether it's first class or economy, when you're stuck in a sausage, you get to know the nature of an individual very, very quickly. Certainly. Now, if you're an interviewer, uh, I, I'm existing as an interviewer right now, but do you have a go-to interview question on the business side? Well, it depends on what it is. Uh, from the PR marketing standpoint, there are a lot of uh, go-to questions. You know, what what knowledge do they have about my brand? Um, what 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 are the understandings about where I want to take my brand into the future? People can go online and go to shark.com. They can Google my name as much as they want, but in there you don't know or understand what I have in my mind about where I want to take it. 
it's only when you come within the company um, that you get to feel it, hear it, touch it, and really analyze it and execute on it going forward. And that's the fun thing about um, asking the questions with individuals. Are they willing to get into the long-term growth strategy of building and building and building? Just because what we have today is, is excellent doesn't mean to say we can't improve on excellence. So I keep asking my people to um, striving to find something better, new, and greater. Even on the stuff we have, not not only just finding new stuff, but even what the stuff we have. Now, now building, 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 it, it brings up a little bit of a memory for me because a couple months ago, you were actually in our office here at golf.com. We talked about business uh, for a different purpose at the time, but I remember you saying this. You would rather be a mile wide and an inch deep than a mile deep and an inch wide. And at the time, uh, you can correct me, feel free to do that. But at the time, I failed to ask you. But now I want to ask you, what's your reason for that mentality? Because I think other people would like to be a mile deep and an inch wide. Well, I believe in a big foundation underneath me. Uh, If I have a very narrow focus, singular focus, then I'm only only looking at one thing being an inch wide and a mile deep. Great if that's what you want to do. I, my opportunity within my company is very, very broad. So if I create a broad foundation, which is a mile wide and an inch deep, that is a foundation that I can build off of. So that's what I like about it. And, and as I mentioned about 30 seconds ago, John, you know, I, I like getting into B2B and B2C now. And then all of a sudden you have a, a huge opportunity with a plethora of different uh, uh, opportunities sit out there. I'll give you an example. Uh, my partnership with Verizon today that we've just um, you know signed the deal a couple of months ago has opened up a huge array of opportunities for myself and my company. And I absolutely love that because now all of a sudden in a small entrepreneurial company like Greg Norman Company has partnered with a behemoth like Verizon and so Verizon now is already two years ahead of the outdoor process. So we are learning as a young company, as a fast, um, adaptable, quick to move on idea companies to now know that a company like Verizon is two years ahead of us in their thought process. It teaches us so much about, okay, let's catch up, let's catch up, let's catch up. And you don't want to rush things to lose things. You want to rush things to get to the end goal which is execution, strategy execution on your game plan. Okay, so you said that uh, it has opened the door in terms of opportunities. I'm, I'm curious, are there any details that you can share about what, what it has actually done for your business that, that you feel like you couldn't have done prior to the partnership? Well, everything's in place right now. There's, not, there's some things I cannot talk about because we'll be announcing these things in the next two to the end of the quarter of this year. Um, but there are other opportunities that I see that are the golf space or is tremendous. Um, like Verizon's got a very incredible, this ag tech program is learning how to save costs, whether it's in a vineyard or whether um, um, in, even on golf courses and saving on electricity, saving on water, saving on fertilizer. So I love this technology that they have um, and we are discussing it talking about the opportunities that we can, that I can bring or Verizon myself can bring to the golf industry. Huge opportunities there. And I think it's much needed in our industry because the cost of maintaining golf courses, growing in golf courses, uh, not only just from a 
standpoint, but uh, just the pure costing from electricity and fertilizer is a number that I truly believe we can bring down substantially with the introduction of great technology that Verizon has. I like it. Now, you talked about growth a number of times, and, and this partnership is going to help you you know, attain the level of growth that you're, that you're concerned about, that you're curious about, and, and your goal is to get to. Your end goal, like you said a little bit earlier, you don't have to share everything about it, but what, what do you envision your end goal to be? Because I have to imagine there's some, there's some cue that you've been given that you want the Greg Norman company to reach a certain level. Can you tell me what that level is? Is it on par with a different company that people would recognize? Well, sure. I'll say this. The company in five or six years will be a totally different company than what it is today. Uh, through a lot of transitions in the last few years, um, I've gone from a marketing company to a B2B company, and now I'm looking at getting involved in the technical side. So when you start looking at the advancement of where your company is and where it could be, you have to keep your mind wide open. So I don't, and again, this is going back to an inch wide, mile deep. I don't want to be that person. I want to keep opportunities open, very, very broad, that uh, I get fascinated with. Kids, educa- kids education is a big thing for me too. Uh, I'd like to see us get involved with that through, with Verizon. Um, so there be, if you keep your mind closed off, you're going to be closing yourself off to a huge amount of opportunities going forward. And that's what the partnership with Verizon is teaching me. Okay. Now, I don't want anyone to close the podcast if we've gotten too far into the business world or too far from, from the golf world. So I want to bring us back to golf just for a little bit. Um, one of your contemporaries in the game was Arnold Palmer. I know your your primes didn't exactly match up, but Arnold Palmer, he, he passed away a few months ago, and you and I – sat down within the next month and you were talking about prepping your company for 200 years down the road, basically for after you are no longer here in the way that Arnold Palmer's company is set up to work and exist beyond Arnold Palmer. So how, how do you do that? How do you prep your company to exist when Greg Norman is gone? It's not all about Greg Norman. It's all about the brand. But the brand is about Greg Norman. So when Greg Norman is not here anymore, and I don't like talking about myself in third, but at the end of the day, when Greg Norman is not here anymore, that the logo and the brand is going to live on. So how we structure that today, how we execute on our game plans going forward, um, is the most important thing that will allow us to get 200 years going forward. So if I instill the values today, direct the people that I have in terms whether it's my COO, whether it's my CFO, whether it's my corporate communications gal, whether it's my marketing people, whether it's my golf courses people, what people, if I don't instill direction and value to them um, and they don't drink, drink into the Kool-Aid, then we're not going to achieve it. So fortunately, I have done. I've got a one of young people around me that um, 30 younger than me that can actually see it, feel it, touch it. And they actually want to change things to make it happen for me. It would be almost kind of like choosing between your children. But what branch of the Greg Norman company is your favorite? Do you have a favorite? I do, actually. Okay. It, it, my favorite is always going to be uh, the golf course design business. 
because quite honestly, Sean, that's the economic indicator. Touched on the fact that what happened the GFC, where we saw it recognized at first was in the golf course design business. When we're coming out of the GFC and there's different regions around the world ready to have a bit of an economic boom, we get the phone calls, whether it's in the Dominican Republic, whether it's in Colombia, whether it's in Jordan, whether it's in Australia, all over the world, Middle East. We get the call saying, hey, we would like to come, we would like your company to come build a golf course for us. That's an indication that there's a lot of money going into a region because to build a golf course resort development or residential community, you're spending hundreds of millions of dollars to get that developer up and running. So the money's going somewhere. So that's where we become the economic indicator on where, where investment is going in the future. So I'd have to say you know, my golf course design business. Okay, I want to keep you on golf for a little bit here and just kind of use your business insight. Where do you see room for a ton of growth? Like what branch, and it might not even be a branch of the golf world yet, but what aspect of the golf world is untapped business-wise? Where do you, I'm sure you'll probably already have been in it, but what do you see as having the most potential? Well, without giving away an announcement we're going to make in the near, very near future, um, if I did talk about it, I think it would give it away. But I, <laughs> there's an opportunity sitting out there that nobody's ever captured in the golf business. Um, I'm on the threshold of doing that with my partner and with Verizon. And once we get this, um, once we have a go-to-market in the third quarter, people are going to sit back and realize, why didn't anybody do this before? So I'm very excited about this opportunity. Sean, I'd love to tell you about it um, yeah. when, when we go to launch about it and talk about it. It's, like I said, nobody's entered the space before. It's virgin space. Nobody's captured it, understood it, um, or even how to monetize it. So it's fascinating for me, and it's just something that everybody, I think, will really enjoy by changing their life on a golf course. Okay. Is there... Is there a date? Can can you get anybody's interest going with a date? Well, second quarter of this year, we'll probably be having a um, a media session, a group media session, okay. to announce it. And we, as I say, we're going to go to market third quarter. Okay. And we've been working on this for three plus years now. Yeah, yeah, I remember reading that, and this this was at least widely reported in December. Um, we can. At least curb that for now. We'll wait for it. We'll be patient, I promise. Uh, one thing I want to talk about before you go is what you're doing with the University of Miami uh, at the Sports Industry Conference, which is in March. It's basically a, a, a Shark Tank-style investor panel, and, and people can bring their ideas to you, uh, their ideas for the golf businesses, and, and, and have you and your investor panel weigh in. Can you tell me a little bit more uh, what I'm missing about it? Well, you're not missing too much. You pretty much nailed it on the head there, Sean. But again, here's a space that we saw sitting very idle. And Shark Tank has been successful. But everybody's forgetting about the entrepreneurial side of sport. And when I look at what's happening in my life and my career being an entrepreneur through sport, I thought this was a great opportunity. University of Miami, uh, working with uh, Jane McNeil, my communications uh, director, um, started talking about this a few months ago and then when they brought it to me when they kind of finalized the 
game plan on how to put it all together, I fell in love with it. Mainly because we have now given an opportunity for very smart, intelligent kids who are coming out of their senior year in college who have great ideas, um, who don't have the wherewithal or the experience to hear from experts who've been around uh, sports and entrepreneurialism for decades, or maybe not even have the financial dollars to invest in their own ideas. So to me, it was capturing a market that was sitting there void, um, and I'm glad I'm doing it with the University of Miami. Um, my son went to University of Miami. He's going to be on the panel with me. Um, one of my dear friends also went to University of Miami, and he's going to sit on the panel, and he's an, an attorney. So all these things that are playing out, I think into the future there are huge opportunities of taking this to the next level, even even making a TV show out of it. You're going to get all kinds of applicants have you seen any of the applicants so far? Has anything really piqued your interest? No, we have not, actually. It's, uh, I think the applications just close on the – oh, no, they closed two days on the 20th, I believe. Now, I'll start looking at applications here very shortly. So they'll actually have a chance, if they are named a finalist, of course, to have you buy a portion of their company. Yeah, that's correct. If we like something well enough uh, and we think it's got a lot of legs on it, we can invest into it. That is awesome. I myself am going down to the PGA show just next week. And from the experience of having been there twice, I know there is no shortage uh, on golf businesses out there. There is a shortage, unfortunately, on our time today, though. Sure, we could we could talk for hours on end, but uh, we've got a lot of arrows in our quiver that we can come back and talk to around the end of the second quarter. I've teased you enough on one of them, so maybe that'll be the next one. <laughs> yeah, you certainly have. Uh, we can leave it at that. I hope it wasn't too business heavy. I know we kind of spelled into some crazy business talk there, and if you're not interested in that, hopefully we rescued you with a little bit of a golf talk towards the end. Let me know your thoughts on the podcast, though, and how much golf business you can handle because that is certainly a format we will probably delve into a little bit more in the future. You can find me on Twitter at Sean underscore Zock. That's S-E-A-N underscore Z-A-K. Until next time, I'm your host, Sean Zock.